Welcome to Maestros On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, recorded at Maestros Cafe, located at the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center in beautiful Cocoa, Florida. Maestros On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music concerts, and personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Today's show features President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee. Now your host, SESO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, good afternoon to you, Bill. Yeah, well, that's great. You know what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen? Because you're trying to be polite. We have one heck of an audience that's comprised of ladies and gentlemen. I think, you know, dogs may listen to <laughs> dogs and cats may listen to our show. No, I mean we don't have any ladies on the uh on our show this morning, but we have in the past. Anyway, yes, good have. morning, Eric. Uh good morning, Bill. It's been a while. Right, actually afternoon, should I say. Good afternoon. <laughs> good it's not afternoon. actually afternoon, just for the record. All right. Thanks, yeah, Neve, Thank virtual, you for pointing that out. In our virtual world it's uh afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> It's a virtual world. That's right. Good afternoon, Jeremy. Uh, yes, hello. It's afternoon on the internet all over the world. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Bill, why don't you song. introduce our uh, special guest? Okay. I think I will. Ladies and gentlemen, the brand new... I want a drum roll, please. The brand new state-of-the-art, incredible personnel director... The one in the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, Yaniv, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, it's actually Cohen, not ladies and gentlemen. But I, I was going to say, is that Mr. Ladies and Gentlemen? Yaniv is good. Okay. That's Yaniv. Yaniv with a V, but not naive. Yaniv V, Yaniv. I came up with that little uh, mnemonic device when I was on the radio at uh, Rollins. You're listening to 91.5 WPRK, the best in basement radio and the voice of Rollins College. Except not, this is actually the Space Coast Symphony podcast. I think we have a natural here in our midst. We do, a natural. Um, so this is exciting. This is good. This is good. When do we start the line of questioning and who wants to ask the first question? Well, you know, we are known for the uh, softball interviews here at Maestro's <laughs> on Air. So. Here at the beautiful uh, Central Bavard Library and Reference Center at uh, Maestro's Cafe. Well, we're going to normally I'd talk about the concerts and this and that. I'm saving them for y- Yaniv. Yes. Because he just said, I, I have a handle on everything. As personnel director, I can tell you what's coming up. So great. Absolutely. We're gonna go to I'm a time walking, comes. talking megaphone. So you just let me know and I'll start rattling off. Well, I think this is a, a good opportunity to actually uh, fully introduce you to the listeners uh, and the Space Coast Symphony audience, because in fact, uh, you do have a position which uh, you're relatively new in that position. Was it uh, about uh, 60 days ago you were named uh, personnel uh, director? A little longer than that. We take? started talking about it uh, last May and took effect beginning of July. So as the... Um, personal director of the Space Coast Symphony, I have uh, various myriad responsibilities that really unburden uh, the maestro Aaron Collins as well as Eric and Colleen, uh, allow them to really work on other 
issues to, to help the symphony grow, prosper, and move forward into the future. Is this true, um, Eric? Yes. Everything are you freed up? Do you feel like a free man since he's on board? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, Yaniv is doing a bang-up job with everything okay. he's doing. As All right. I didn't director. want to interrupt, but I had to address. Well, that's what you're known so, for, interrupting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is not a political show, but we were, before we started, we were talking a little bit about politics. This kind of reminds me of the whip in, uh, in the Senate, where you have, you know, you've got the leader uh, doing strategic things, and then the whip comes along and whips everybody into shape and makes sure they're doing what they're doing. The, the personnel director position with the Space Coast Symphony is actually different than the many of the other orchestras and organizations in Florida in that in most other organizations, the personnel director would get together with the artistic director and the librarian to not only ascertain what pieces were going to be performing, but what the instrumentation is. They'd send out the contracts, then get contract the sub-players, and submit a report not only for each of the concerts, but for the general season to determine what the budget is. To the board, it gets approved, rubber-stamped, everything's fine and good. In the Space Coast Symphony, things are a little bit more free and different. That's one of the reasons that I love this organization so much. It's different in that I'm given a number, and uh, my job is to make sure that the concerts happen within that number. Uh, so we have a little bit more flexibility, um, and also it really forces us to to think about not only the pieces that we're playing, but who we want to play them. And if we're using smaller forces to, you know, really utilize our our personnel in the the most intelligent way, not only for the budget, but for the performance themselves. And all season, I think we've had audience members coming up saying this is the best season yet the orchestra's never sounded so good uh even though we're actually smaller forces in the strings you'll see most of our concerts this season uh, have uh instrumentation of four four three three two what does that mean well it means we have four firsts four seconds three violas three cellos and two basses and that's our core string section that's what you can always expect to see um but in some of our Masterworks concerts, we'll have larger forces. So when people see that there's a smaller group on stage, uh, I want to make sure that they understand what it really means. Because we're talking about doing all these exciting things. We've got a concert almost every other weekend. Starting the second week of October, I think we've actually got a concert every weekend for a while. For a, for a while, yeah. It's a really busy October. So keep your seatbelts on. Absolutely. What I think I'm hearing here is that uh, when you think of a traditional full symphony, you think of a stage full of musicians. Uh, your job, though, is rather than simply to throw a bunch of instruments and musicians uh, at a concert, you're more judicious in trying to determine what are the right instrumentation for each piece and who are the actual right players so that everybody can play to their strength so that each concert individually can be uh, sounding its best, but yet within the budget that's allocated. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I don't know how many people would be willing to admit this, but an orchestra of the same musicians will sound completely different if you reorganize the players. And so placing them next to each other, not only for their own personal strengths, but for their compatibility as a, a stand partner and within a section, uh, as well as blending within the orchestra and being sensitive to other lines going on, is, uh, is a pretty big deal, and it makes a difference. So a little bit like a wedding planner, and you get to decide who sits at the captain's table, and 
you know, don't sit at Marge next to Cousin Bill because they had a fight years ago. You could say that. I can sum this up in a few words. Yes. In a little formula that I like to call the comparison formula. Anyway, it's poignant, purposeful planning versus sheer numbers. Yes, and I'm so glad that you, you brought that up. Not only because I appreciate your alliteration, which I'm a fan of with an English degree, um, but because there is, in fact, a uh, ratio, a proportion, and a uh, formula which we follow to determine what the personnel is. It's uh, done supposedly in multiples of six, even though that's not how it always works out. But the ideal number or ratio for balancing the strings proportionally, is that the total number of violins is exactly three to one the number of cellos, where, uh, wherein the cellos, violas, and basses together equal exactly the number of total violins. So part of your job is you have to complete the correct quantization for the calculation for the quantity for the cast of characters. Yes. But now I just have... Images of Disney stuck in my head. As do I. As do I, Yanni. Your turn to alliterate, Eric. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Bill's was actually very good. Mine was a little more uh, labored. All I know is that I think the strings are sounding better than ever, I think. So whatever you're doing up there, you know, because I think the intonation's better, the sound's better. Don't you think? Everything seems better. I'm I'm really pleased, and I think the audience has taken notice. Um, and the only the reason the reason I brought up the formula and how how we came to it uh, is because the only other comment that I get aside from "Wow, you know, the orchestra sounds better than ever" is that "Oh, it seems like a smaller group." So I wanted people to understand what they're looking at and what the considerations are going into that um, before each concert, and you know. We are doing a great deal number of things. The organization is moving forward um, in many ways, and my position with the organization is one of the many evidences of that. Um, uh, however, you know, if people want to see the orchestra continue to grow and want to see these numbers expand, then I implore upon them to, to donate, to, to, to give, and to help the musical community. Um, and would like to remind everyone as well that as a 501c3, all of your donations to the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra are 100% tax deductible. And administratively, even including myself, our costs are not that significant. The majority of the costs actually go into the, uh, the music, the venue rental and uh, maintenance, right. and of course personnel. Right, and I've said that you know, on the stage you know, before the concerts, Really, the money goes towards the, you know, the music production. Like you said, our administrative costs are very low. And then while you've brought it up, we do have a matching campaign going on. A uh, generous donor has uh, offered to match up to $10,000. And we've already uh, made about $8,000 so far. So really, the donation campaign's been going very well, and we've only got a couple thousand to go. I still want to know who the uh, matching donor is. Oh, it's a very... Uh, very hush hush. Yeah. Yes, sorry. Top, right. top secrets. I mean, I tried to find this out last year from you. I know. Uh, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> All right. 
You do have a lot of one-liners. I'll give you that. That's right. That's what I'm known for, one-liners. It has been a recurring theme that the symphony itself does run on a very uh, short budget. In fact, uh, Colleen Lee was on a few episodes ago, and when you run the numbers, uh, for the amount of music that we put out, the number of performances, the number of people that come to the performances, we really have a shockingly low budget compared to other uh, mainstream symphony orchestras in, in other markets. Uh, and I, I do want to talk more about that whole process of uh, the, the budgeting, how you help balance. Uh, but let's uh, go ahead and introduce you a little more to the audience, to those that may not know you. You talked a bit about balancing the strings, for example. You're actually a string player. So what, what instrument do you play? That's right. I'm actually a violist. We are the uh, forgotten stepchild of the orchestra. There are bit. many viola jokes in the <laughs> musical <laughs> vernacular. Just, yeah, just go back the last couple of <laughs> yeah, episodes. You know, we, we probably have three or four. I've got episodes. a good one for you if you like. Yes, right. we have time like for a, it. A, you know, I love viola jokes. Go, go ahead. All right. So the New York Philharmonic is on tour. They go to Europe. The conductor has some bad ceviche or something like that. I, I, I love ceviche. So um, he gets food poisoning and thirty minutes to concert. You know, everyone's on stage. Personnel manager comes up, says, you know, we don't have a conductor. Does anyone in the orchestra know this repertoire well enough to, to conduct? Is there a doctor so, in the house? That's <laughs> right. So the, the last chair violist raises his hand and said, I studied conducting. I know the repertoire. I've played it a hundred times. I can conduct this concert. So he goes up there, conducts for four days straight across Europe, raving reviews. The orchestra's never sounded better than the conductor. Regains his health. The moral fortitude comes back to the helm. So when he returns to the last desk of the viola section, his standpoint returns to him and says, where have you been? <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's good. That was fast. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I told the joke last night. I had practice. Oh, that's no, good. No, and that was good practice, apparently. What good. I mean is it came under my radar. It's like you're waiting, pal, and it hits you. I, I did, yeah, exactly. I, I think maybe what you're saying is I didn't see the punchline coming, and then I immediately got it as soon as it came. So, yeah, yeah that, that's a great joke. But, that is. But all kidding aside, wow. another one of the uh, recurring themes, one of the questions we like to ask the guests are, you play the viola. How did you come to choose that instrument? Oh, gosh. So uh, it was the sixth grade. I, uh, I actually I started uh, at the Maitland Middle School in obviously Maitland, under the direction of Lisa Hopko. Um, but, you know, I really wasn't so interested in orchestra or the viola in particular so much as I really didn't want to do laps every day in the Florida heat. <laughs> I wanted to get right. away from physical education <sighs> desperately. Um, and in the band, not only did they have so many people interested that it was almost a lottery system, but they had a test after two weeks whereby if you didn't pass, you went directly back into running laps in PE. Well, so I wow. said, okay, the orchestra doesn't have this kind of regulation or test or examination. I can just coast through that and not so worry about be, it. So you can be an orchestra pretty much, but so many people wanted to be in band that there was a limit. <laughs> That's right. I always wanted to be an electric guitarist, but I never really grew into it. You know, my dad joked around that the first... Two pieces of music I ever heard were probably uh, Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix and then a Mozart Symphony, so they knew it was going to go one way or another. <laughs> That's um, good. 
But, uh, you know, some of my friends were in orchestra as well, and they said, you know, we should all be in the same section. Why don't we do that? It'd be great. So we went through the roster. My last name is Cohen. It's a traditional American name my parents blessed me with, Yaniv Moshe Cohen. Almost absolutely tribal. Um, and so my name came up on the roster first, and I said, I want to play the viola. And, of course, they all chose violin and cello. <laughs> by, the time we, by the time we came back around, we had run out of the other instruments. They really needed the viola player. So I did that, and I coasted for two years without doing much. Everyone went on to the advanced group. I went on to the intermediate group. And then one day I just decided, you know what? You know, all these people are bragging about being in the, the top-tier group in chamber. They're, they're doing all-county and all-state. I can do this too. So I started practicing. I started practicing a lot. Um, got into all-county, and we were playing. I will never forget. This is the reason I'm a musician today. We played Biedrich Smatna's uh, The Moldau from his my life cycle. Uh, it was an arrangement, of course, but it was such a profoundly beautiful piece of music. And I remember sitting there in the orchestra and thinking, you know, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. It was in the eighth grade. That's when it happened. That's when it happened. It just hit me. I started practicing six, six to eight hours a day. Wow. They redid my school schedule to move me into the top group and going straight into high school. Not only was I playing with two groups in the high school and the youth orchestra, as well as having a string quartet, but I became the youngest member of the UCF Symphony at 13 years old, and I played with them for 10 years under the direction of Laszlo Morosi. Well, so that's where you went to well, school, UCF? No, I actually, I never formally attended UCF. I went to Rollins because they promised me the moon, a double major degree in three mm -hmm. years. So lo and behold, it took me five years, but I graduated without debt with a double major in music and English, and I wow. got to study with... Uh, oh, so you went to Rollins College, but then you... Um, I was still play, playing with play UCF. UCF. I got mm -hmm. you. Oh, that's good. You get more experience. Well, I, I don't know that it went into your decision to play the viola, but uh, it reminds me a bit of game theory uh, in that when you look at something like a violin, there is mm -hmm. a significant draw to that instrument, a lot of competition... Whereas I've known people who play, uh, I hate to say less popular, but uh, less less frequently played professionally uh, mm -hmm. instruments like the oboe or the bassoon. Uh, an oboe player, a bassoon player can always find a job because there just aren't as enough of them versus how many violin players are out there. So the fact that your viola probably helped you get uh, into a lot of gigs uh, early on just because there was a need for that particular instrument. Yeah, in fact, I, I studied with Monty Braun, who was 31 years in the first violin section of the New York Philharmonic, as well as in the audition committee. He's also principal violist of Buffalo, but I got hooked up with him when he retired and moved to Florida. That was the other reason I chose Rollins. And, you know, I always wanted to, to switch over to the violin just because it, it fits me a little bit better. Um, but they never let me. They said, you know, you're a good violist, stick to that. You know, there, there are so many violinists. But just, you know, to, to come back around to what you said, I actually think the competition is, uh, is more stringent, is tougher for oboes and bassoons. There are a lot of violinists, but there's so many gigs to go around, you know, everyone's always navigating their responsibilities, going back and forth between the different orchestras and uh, circuits. So it's much easier to get into uh, the circuits, in Florida anyway, uh, as a violinist. Or string player than I think uh, a, a wind okay. player. But given that I'm not a professional musician, I, I accept the counterpoint. I was just going on some anecdotes uh, that, yeah. that I had heard. But I, I believe what you're saying. Have you ever had an agent represent you? Um, no. In fact, I don't even have a, a website. I operate purely by word of mouth. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. 
um, it works out. I think if you're the right person for the job, you're easy to get along with. And well, you know what really kind of took me by surprise is Daniel Ascroft. Mm-hmm. I asked him the same thing. No, he's never had representation. He does all of his own scheduling, all of his own uh, deals, everything to do with Daniel Ascroft. It's him by himself. I think maybe early on his parents might have helped him out, but but he does everything. His travel arrangements, he handles all of it, and that really blew my mind because you know we're talking about an international musician who travels all the time but you know that's where we are as a society with our social media and all these uh you know apps you can utilize from your phone you can do everything from the palm of your hand now and uh i'm not saying that representation isn't beneficial but there's a certain point where to a certain point you can really do it for yourself um and my violin shop operates the same way. You know, I've been a luthier or a luthier for the last four and a half years. Run a shop out of my house, and I don't have a website or any presence, you know, outside of Facebook. But, Why don't you uh, explain to our audience what a what your violin shop does? Because I'm sure they're not familiar with. Considering we're not familiar, I want to hear it us. too. I yeah, mean, I'm not, I'm not really the audience, but in this case, I am because we're part of the audience and. The answer that you're giving, we, we want to know. That's okay. a good point. Well, uh, backtracking a little bit, um, you know, making a living as a musician is a, a many-splendored thing, and you have to be multifaceted in the way that you approach that. So one of the ways that I've, you know, consolidated my, my focuses uh, to remain in music is to uh, take up administratively, such as with the Space Coast Symphony and other contracting. I do my own events and work with a couple other contractors, um, I also perform in various orchestras and for, you know, wedding contractors. I probably do a hundred weddings a year. Wow. Um, and I also run a violin shop. Wow. And so what a luthier is, is essentially a woodworker who's uh, devoted to fixing, restoring, and selling our stringed instruments. Violins, violas, cellos, bows, etc. I try not to work with basses. Uh, but I have, I can. Um, and so... Because I'm running this out of my house and I'm just one person, let alone a a 25-year-old, I decided to kind of go after a different niche, to to carve something out for myself. Whereas many of the other shops uh, target beginners, do rentals, and they're more commercially focused. Commercially focused. Right, and schools Um, and that kind of thing. Fixing the the high school sophomores (laughs) bang-up. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Fix the but also on selling the instruments yeah. that are, are new um, that you get straight from the manufacturer. So I decided to do something a little bit different um, and to focus on American instruments and older instruments. Anything over 70 years old or um, retroactively anything that would be verified and suitable for an auction house to represent. So in doing so and in being a symphony member... In, in so many different symphonies, um, I also have access to to many professionals and their students. And I don't know any other luthier who is uh, is a full-time performer and who understands what that, that feeling is that a player looks for in an instrument. There's something I want to bring up um, real quickly, but I saw it on, I believe it was Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I I just glanced at it at first, and I thought, "Wow, that's very interesting. What a what a great building!" I'm thinking, "What an incredible building!" 
And it was actually inside of a violin, inside mm-hmm. of a cello, inside, inside shots of these really incredible instruments. But the way they did it, the light was coming in, the openings and the instruments, and it looked like, like uh, incredible buildings. And I was blown away when I looked a little closer. I thought, that looks like the inside of a, of a violin. So yeah, I'm reading. Yeah, I actually, I actually uh, posted that to the, uh, the Space Coast's uh, uh, yeah, Facebook I saw page. That. No, I, I, I didn't do those. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was the London Philharmonic. No, 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 sorry. The Berlin Philharmonic, uh, as part of advertisement for their new season, commissioned these photos. And they were actual photos of the inside of the instruments. And they were just breathtaking. I, I mean, it looked like it was staged or some sort of did. computer graphics, but they're actual pictures. And, and they so looked elegant. As the instrument sounds, they looked just like it sent. You know what I mean? It had an elegant look. Anyway, I was blown away. Now, they probably didn't have a picture of the tuba on the inside. No, they did not have that. Can you imagine what that would look like? That would scare people. It would. <laughs> It would look like CERN. It would look like CERN without You'd all have the like colorful all this wires and stuff inside there. You know, it'd be, it wouldn't be a pretty picture. Well, if anybody wants to see these pictures, they could just go to the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra's Facebook page and scroll down a few pages. This is maybe you know a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that'll be I'd in the, the feed. If I were you, yeah, just we'll to make sure it. that's yeah. perfect. But you, as somebody who restores and works on all of these. Old elegant instruments. I mean, mm-hmm. have you seen these pictures? We're talking. I have. About? I've seen the pictures. I think not only uh, does it do a great job of uh, you know making people aware of of the kind of design that goes into these instruments, but it was a fantastic bit of PR for for whichever symphony uh, promoted it originally. And you know, it's working with these instruments is is really something else in music as a musician. The moment you create your art, it's gone. It's ephemeral. It doesn't really exist physically. And so for me, uh, being able to work on these instruments, to give life to something that hasn't been played in 30 or 40 years, that's 100 years old, um, is a physical manifestation of your progress as a musician, as an intellectual, so on and so forth. And beyond that, when you're dealing with these old instruments, you know, you're talking about a partner. It's like a, for a professional musician, it's every bit as important as a marriage. Well, I, I know a little bit about you before you came into the interview, mm-hmm. but the wow. fact that you're Luthier, I did not know. So, and when you, as soon as you said that, I got fascinated. And what I expected you to say is that you were fixing the high school kids, uh, you know, cello when they bang it up. But no, I mean, so my, yeah. and, and so you said two things that uh, were kind of t- counterintuitive to me. One, you're not uh, focusing on entry-level instruments mm-hmm. and you have no real... Uh, PR in the form of a website or other advertising. So my question is, given that you're focusing on these heritage pieces, what kind of word of mouth, how do you really attract the kind of business? Because that is a very specific clientele that you're going after. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, uh, for one, like I said, I play in the symphony. um, And so everyone's familiar with me that way, as well as my playing. and uh, my Facebook presence, whenever I fix a new instrument or I have something to offer for sale that's interesting, I always post about it um, with a little bit, with a little blurb. Um, but beyond that, I have a fairly extensive network outside of, of Florida going to all these music festivals. 
I've been to Eastern Music Festival several times, to uh, Apple Hill, to Sewanee. Um, did both arts administration and uh, performing at Hot Springs a couple times. Went to the Wintergreen Performing Arts Center mm -hmm. as well as uh, others. And so each one of these festivals has between uh, 50 and 200 musicians. So over the course of, of 10 years, you develop a, a pretty wide network of friends and their friends and educators. And each one of these performers at a certain point also has a studio. Right. So when they're looking for something or they have a student that's looking for something, um, if they don't want to get a commercial instrument, which is basically what the market bears, then uh, they know that there's someone they can come to. Not only will be able to offer them somewhat of a different selection at a, at a generally more modest price, because I don't have a commercial establishment, um, but that uh, I know what they're looking for, so on and so forth. And uh, unfortunately, the sad reality of many of these, these commercially... Um, viable instruments, the ones that are being offered, is that their value is only validated when you return to the shop at which you bought them. And that's, that's my big selling point. Um, if you take it to a different shop, shops will always undervalue you know, what you take to them and say, oh, but you know, this is our model, and our model goes for so on and so forth. So if you want to get your full value of a trade-in, you have to go back to the same shop. And that's where older instruments... Um, I think are a little bit different because they do have a ver verifiable value. They have a track record and you can track their provenance and their sales records. Mm -hmm. Well, sorry if I'm, I'm getting too uh, technical or, or geeking out a bit, but I'm mm -hmm. still fascinated by this. So you're talking about, you have a uh, nationwide contacts uh, mm -hmm. that, that uh, drive the business, but I'm thinking, you know, the, when I've, where I've gone to Luthier, it's uh been someone local you take it over you drop it off you come back and pick it up and one of the concerns about these instruments you know they're basically boxes made out of wood and glue and you don't want them in the hot sun you know so i would it's think true. shipping them might be a little bit of a difficulty how do you handle uh, getting the instrument to you do you have any kind of special packaging um you know for for cellos and larger instruments i Usually let FedEx worry about that. Okay. Uh, but for the violins, it's actually, you know, fairly simple. You can put the soundpost down. You can put the bridge down. You can uh, leave that up, undo the strings. It's just a matter of, of carefully packing and using expedited shipping, special services. But I've shipped mm, between instruments and bows well over 500 instruments. And I go back and forth with uh, William Harris Lee in Chicago. So I guess the, the point is, rather than focusing on these mm -hmm. commercial instruments, I'm trying to develop a selection, a collection that is more suitable for professionals so they don't have to fly to somewhere like Chicago to get something that would adequately represent them in an orchestra. Just so you know, Yaniv, I never for once thought that you were entry level as Jeremy did. Okay? <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Bill. You're, you're entry level. Uh, no, no, I was talking. <laughs> okay, Jeremy's a fine American. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, hey, you're fantastic. Uh, you no, are no, fantastic. No, no, be, you're very fantastic. No, just to clarify, what I was addressing was the fact that he doesn't work on entry yeah. level uh, uh, instruments. In other words, a mass produced piece, uh, a cello, uh, a violin that you might buy a high schooler. If they're getting into symphony, well, he doesn't deal with those as much as he does older, more handcrafted right. instruments. Let me preface that because let if someone go ahead, 
if someone brings me something like that and asks me to work on it, I absolutely will, and I will do so in the most economic way possible. But because I do so many other things, when I have a choice, I want to feel that the instrument I'm working on is really worthwhile. And that's the thing I was going to say about older instruments, is that it's very much like a marriage. If, if someone plays even four hours a day over the course of their lifetime, an instrument's 200 years old, it's had so much emotional transference. And at a certain point, it picks up its own personality mm-hmm. and has something that I couldn't call anything but a soul. And, and you feel that. And it's this magical recursive thing that you really can't put into words. And that's why people pay so much money for these instruments, particularly the, the Stradivariuses. Um, just two weeks ago, I got a, um, a Thomas Rausch in trade. That name might not mean anything to you, but it's a family of violin makers in Bohemia, what is now the Czech Republic. This instrument was made in 1736, making it 200 years old. Uh, so it was made well before Bach died, while he was still alive, well, and composing, and a year before Stradivarius died. So, Do you think that, is that like one of the oldest instrument that you've worked on, or have you... Um, or, or do you think that's like one of the most valuable? Or I don't know about the most valuable, but it's probably the oldest instrument I've worked on. I had one other instrument that was of questionable age, but it was really three different um, mm. instruments put together. It's what we call a composite violin or a Frankenfiddle. Okay. So the top was probably about that old. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the violin was probably from about 1820, 1830. Right, but that's and still the, old. It's still old, yeah. Oh. And I, I really love working with instruments like that. Frankenville, is that as in a, a Frankenstein violin, basically? Yeah, different you know. Different parts from different, different places? Different parts, <laughs> knocked apart, put back together yep. a dozen times. Absolutely. A, a working man's violin. Yeah, you could say that. Um, they say that with brass instruments, too, like the Frankenstein. Too. You know, if you have like a horn of like different, composed of like different manufacturers. Because like my bass trombones, like a Frankenstein horn, the bell and the um, valve sections, the Shires, and then mm-hmm. the slides and Edwards. So it's two different manufacturers. So it's like that in the you know other musical world too. So so mm-hmm. speaking of you working on multiple instruments, please all modesty aside, uh, I would think once you complete the work on this, you're going to play these instruments for a while. You to make sure that they, you know, are meeting your standards. So, would you consider yourself a, you know, a multi-instrument virtuoso, or do you have certain instruments that you prefer to play? I don't know about virtuoso. I would definitely not use that term. But I do, I do try to make it a point to perform on the instruments um, that I fix to kind of ascertain what direction I could still go with them. Uh, for example, just this weekend, I performed on a Edlovich. Um, violin made in 1911 in Baltimore, Maryland. So I, I did the setup earlier in the week, spent a few days still adjusting it, and then performed a um, solo violin at Eastminster Presbyterian. I wouldn't call myself a violinist, but for things like that, you know, I can get around. Um, it has a kind of chocolatey sound, dark but still very clear and, and, and poignant. So it's, it's really um, a nice violin. I turned... Uh, I found it because my favorite violin that I found is also an Edlovich. I had it appraised last summer for twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. So I was very excited to find this other one. Um, so I put it together, spent a week with it, performed on it. And now it's going to be offered for sale. 
I know it can reach the back of the hall, and it feels good all the way up and down the fingerboard. I'm happy with it, so I know someone else will be too. Not to change the subject, but let me ask you this. He said changing the subject. <laughs> that's, part of, that's part of your charm. That's what we call a shift, Volta. You, yes. Do you have any strange animals? Strange Pets. animals? <laughs> yeah. Pets? I have a welcome mat in the shape of a cat. Um, you, ha- you actually have a welcome mat in the shape of a cat. Yeah, you know, I wish I wish I had animals, but so I, I really don't have enough time in the day to take care of myself the way I should. Last year, and, and the reason I'm in Brevard County to begin with is because I was offered a full-time teaching job. I was working 18 hours a day without weekends for the better part of nine months straight. You had brought in a, a clip of you playing the viola, I believe. I have. So, you know, when we... Why don't you set that up for us? When we first started talking about doing this interview, you asked me to to bring in something. And so I realized with horror, um, as I looked at my nice new Dell, that I lost all of my recordings uh, when my computer died two months ago. Right, that's what you were saying on the phone. Um, So I... You know, was thinking about what to do. Thought I could re-record something yesterday, but I ended up enjoying a bottle of wine instead. So I went, uh, you know, through my Dropbox and found uh, a recording that won me an edition uh, a few years ago of a viola I actually bought in three pieces and put together. And I got all my jobs on on such an instrument. Did the setup myself. Um, the recording is actually uh, the prelude from Bach's Fifth Cello Suite and. This piece is significant to me, um, not only because C minor is actually my uh, my favorite key, I think it resounds remarkably well on the viola, um, but also because of what it represents for Bach. He was a Lutheran, and all his compositions were devoted to, to the glory of God. He believed in this concept of uh, geomatria, I believe. I forget exactly how to pronounce it. For those of you not familiar with it, it's that uh, the concept that for every everything in existence, um, there is a sequence of harmonies, chords, or pitches that represents it. Uh, wherein the C major triad, major triad, represents uh, the perfection of God. So then, if you flip it, C minor, just to take that and to diminish it. It has significance. He would not do something like that without without purpose. And moreover, the, the C minor prelude is the only one that's a French overture. It's the only prelude that's in two parts. And so what you're going to hear is only the, uh, the first part of it. But it's this dramatic improvisatory sequence that goes into what I would only call a fugue, in which there's this motif that's just repeated again and again. Let's pause a second so you can hear it.
Yaniv Cohen playing Bach's Prelude Number no. Five in C minor. Where did you perform that? You know, this might have been my bathroom. <laughs> I noticed the acoustics were wonderful. Did you say bathroom? Bathroom. Really? You know, that's where I normally do my recordings, but I do recall I was actually in New Jersey when I did this recording. I was visiting um, some violin shops and some family friends, and uh, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, got to get out of the Florida weather, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, I find myself in the heart of the, uh, the polar vortex, because you know, this was two years ago. And, of course, we were snowed in. I had to do this audition, and I was stuck in New Jersey. Couldn't get back. So I recorded this in an attic, in a carpeted attic. Uh, so I, it turned out remarkably well, all considering. Uh, but it's a two-year-old recording, and, you know, my instrument now is worth ten times as much, and I'm so very happy with it. That's great. And, you know, blue and yellow really do make green. Yes, and green and purple make brown. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is some interview. This is fun. I know. The, the I whole like thing this. with the violin. I'm enjoying it. That's, that was great. The whole violin shop thing was really great. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know you did that. That's really, that was really good. What concerts do we have coming up? Well, I think we should put our uh, personnel director on the spot and see. Yeah, obviously, he's been planning for all these performances, so he'll let us know what's coming up. Well, uh, we have a couple concerts coming up. On the 17th and the 18th, we've got the Sounds of Swing featuring our jazz band, uh, Patrick Hennessy as our jazz director, as well as maestro Aaron Collins. Um, it's going to be an exciting performance. Uh, the 17th is going to be at the uh, Scott Center at 7 p.m. It's going to be uh, an exciting concert featuring music of uh, Duke Ellington, the Glenn Miller Band, uh as well as many other favorites, uh, with the same program followed on the 18th at uh, the Vera Beach Performing Arts Center at 3 p.m. Um, and this is where things get really busy for us. This is the heart of the season for the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra because the weekend after, we have a very exciting partnership with the Melbourne Independent Film Festival called Dynamic Duos. And I'm not sure if there are five or six partnerships. Eric, do you know? I'm not sure exactly. I know that I think it is five or six. I want to go mm-hmm. out on a limb. I think it's five. You may, okay. he may be right. So, I remember making the announcement. I'm very familiar with that. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll go. Yeah. We'll go with five. So uh, the concept is that there's a, a director and a composer local that get paired together. The director creates a short film, and the composer works with them every step of the way to create a soundtrack to to that short film. And so it's going to be a very exciting concert because not only are you going to see these films for the first time and see these scores realized in real time by the uh, symphony, but you can enjoy some popcorn, have a beer, or your favorite drink. And it's right, going it's to be, be at the Oaks, right? That's right. It's going to be on the 24th at the Premier Oaks in Melbourne. And then the following weekend, um, which is the uh, 31st of October, Halloween, and the 1st of November, We've got our next Masterworks subscription, and this is going to be an exciting one. We're going to have much larger forces for this. Our counts for this are seven first violinists, eight seconds, six violas, five or six cellos, and four basses in the strings. So that's you know twice the size of our, our core orchestra. And we're going to be performing Pictures at an Exhibition, the uh, Ravel orchestration, which is by far the superior of the, the ones um, available. Also one of my favorite pieces of music. It's a, it's a many splendored thing, many movements, many styles, and uh, always a fan favorite. 
the Lieberman Flute Concerto featuring Sandra Del Cid, um, which is for uh, smaller forces, um, but a very exciting piece of music. And uh, probably what I'm most excited for uh, on that program is Lieutenant Kijay by Prokofiev. Um, it's an iconic piece of music. I think, was it the police or Sting? Someone took the melody from that and turned it into uh, a I pop think it head. Was, I think it was Sting. Yeah. 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 So uh, I forget what it's the... It's a great... It's a great... Uh, the... That one. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, recently, uh, Aaron Collins, uh, when he did Inside the Music, a special presentation where he talked about the various shows, he went into great detail talking about that. <laughs> he did. And it cracked me up. He's he's so brilliant when he talks to the to, to the audiences. And, you know, he has, he has a, a way of... Of also communicating to the orchestra, you know, at all these concerts, we also have on the billboard our uh, colonisms. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those. <laughs> a lot of yeah. them are, predict- are are directed towards the the tuba and trombones, but but not all of them. <laughs> There's a surprise. Um, you know, he said uh, he said of of that particular movement, and this movement starts with a double bass solo, uh, and then the solo viola comes in, literally cooing over the double bass line. Um, it was a, a wonderful event. I went to both the uh, Vero Beach uh, installment and the one here at Coco at the Central Buffard Library, and uh, he really hit hit a stride. It was it was fantastic to watch and so informative. I was telling him afterwards it was like a a doctoral thesis, but more interesting and charismatic. Yeah, it's really um, very interesting when he does these presentations. But. Uh, you know, what's so remarkable about this piece of music from our perspective as an organization and for the audience, is this is going to be the first time in history, as far as I'm concerned, or to my knowledge, that it's going to be paired with the film, which has been edited to fit the, uh, the score. And so it's going to be a really cool thing with the film playing behind us. Uh, that, is the one of the, that is one of the things that the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra does very well, is several times a year they have multimedia performances, uh, we talked about with the Melbourne Independent Film Fe- Festival, uh, the Out of This World Part Two, Animation Domination. When we partnered with Pixar and film, DreamWorks, that's right. A lot of film concerts. They're very entertaining. I, I really like the multimedia aspect of it. I think it kind of engages the audience a little bit more. And, you know, I think we've got big plans as well as far as social media is concerned and making sure that we uh, we get our concerts out to a wider and also younger audience. Right. Um, but you'll see that instituted as you come to the concerts over the course of the season, and more particularly as we move forward. I would like to go back to one other thing related to your mm-hmm. uh, role as director of personnel. Uh, Space Coast Symphony Orchestra is a professional symphony. Uh, for the most part, all the performers are full-time professional musicians, but they are not often full-time with the Space Coast Symphony. They're playing with other groups at various other times. So what kind of challenge does that present trying to make sure that you capture the right musicians for our performances while avoiding conflicts with the other groups they may be part of? Um, you know, that's a really interesting question and I wish we had, or I had a simple answer for you. Um, but you know, it's interesting how it worked out because it wasn't so much that we had to think about the the musicians so much as we had to think about the schedule of the orchestra uh, itself. I sat down with uh, the maestro, Aaron Collins, in May, 
and we looked at the other schedules that the uh, you know Florida orchestras had posted, and basically um, wanted to schedule around certain groups. Um, so we scheduled our season around the Villages Philharmonic, the Florida Lake Symphony, um, the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra in Punta Gorda, as well as the uh, Bavard Symphony Orchestra, which also performs here locally. Um, we never want to keep compete with them for musicians or audiences. And I think together with some of the other concert series going on, the concert series at Eastminster, we're doing a great deal of good for the artistic community here and especially for the, the kids. Um, you know, we now have three different organizations for, for youngsters. You have the uh, Bavard Symphony Youth Orchestra, which um, I think has no affiliation with the uh, Bavard Symphony except in name and maybe a few board members. Um, but it's a long-standing group and they're doing some great work. There's the Creative Young Artists Orchestra run out of Harmony Music. Uh, and that's a huge program uh, run on a different day so that they don't compete. And now with uh, Carrie Moorman, Jen C. Lee, Carrie's wife, and Paul Jackson, um, we've created a Quartet Movement which is a different kind of arts organization for educating, uh, educating Brevard's youth. It's focusing entirely on chamber music, not necessarily only quartets, some quintets, some trios, we have a sextet, um, but providing that higher level instruction for these kinds of dynamic and collaborative projects I think chamber music, to me, uh, aside from being absolutely my passion, it's always what I wanted to do with my life, uh, represents the very best of ensemble and solo playing. And so not only are the kids getting an opportunity to do that, but the, uh, the talented young artists that are enrolled in this program, Quartet Movement, uh, will have two, uh, two chances this year to perform alongside the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra or with the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. And uh, you will see many of them featured uh, not only in the, in the lobby of our masterworks, pictures at an exhibition, uh, October 31st and November 1st, um, but as members of the orchestra. They'll be performing in the viola section, the cello section, the first violin section, uh, second violin section. And what's your direct role with those other uh, student non-symphony members do you directly manage them, or do you have, is there another person who helps coordinate that program, and you work with that person? Uh, the magic behind that is uh, really Gen C. Okay. You know, I have to give credit where credit is due, but we all work together to make sure it happens and work very closely together. We're all good friends, and I couldn't ask for a better team of individuals, both in the orchestra as principal, uh, second, and concertmaster, and educators. They're just... Wonderful. You should work with us to help get her on the show. A group of us actually went to dinner the other evening, and she was very passionate about the quartet movement. Mm -hmm. And so I implored her, well, come on and talk about it. And she's not accepting the invitation yet. So just apply a little bit of pressure, and let's get her on the show. I'm really glad you brought it up because I was going to ask you about it. So it's a great uh, opportunity for us to help you know, the youth of the county. One thing we ask musicians that play internationally is, have you found anything similar about audiences around the world or anything unique about audiences in different locations? I have, and I think some of the concepts I have regarding um, 
audiences, varied audiences, and integration of audiences into the concert experience, perhaps the reason that I was uh, brought forward to the board for this position with Space Ghost in the first place. Um, but I got invited to play with, uh, to perform at the Suwannee Music Festival. They called me just a month before the festival and said, hey, you know, would you come up and play? We'll set you up with these scholarships. And uh, one of the guest conductors was Carl Sinclair, who's, of course, a famous uh, conductor in California. And uh, I had to have lunch, or I, I got a chance to have lunch with him a few times. And we uh, started talking about, you know, what the uh, musical climate was, what orchestras were doing, wasn't working, the different ways per-service orchestras in particular could uh, move forward into the 21st century. One of the things that he he extolled upon me, or rather one of the things that I took from our conversation was this concept of managing social media and getting it to work for you, particularly with the uh, advent of Twitter. So he promotes uh, a series entitled Twitzerts. Name, <laughs> name. Con concerts via Twitter? Is right. Well, the, the idea right, is, so let's it, say... It makes sense. I, I picked it, I had an art of it, and I picked yeah. up on it right away. Yeah, it's great. So let's say, um, for example, you've got a, uh, a Pops concert or something like that. You're playing, uh, the orchestra's performing William Tell. It starts with this beautiful cello solo, right? So imagine, the entire audience is plugged into the Twitter. You have a series of pre-programmed tweets that come from the orchestra, but via orchestra members. So you can see, all of a sudden, there's a picture of the principal cellist saying, first time I played this piece, or this is what I think of when I'm playing this cello solo, or I had an experience playing this cello solo with this group under this conductor once before, so, so on and so forth. So this is basically live tweeting during the event. Exactly. So it's the, it's the modern day version of pop-up video for classical music. And this is one of the things, you know, I said earlier, we're going to have some exciting things coming up uh, in the concerts, and, and this is one of the things I'd like to see implemented, and I'm going to be uh, working with our marketing board. Bill, you're in, the director uh, of communication. You're going to you going to have your thumbs uh, busily typing out tweets during the performances? I do all kinds of stuff. I'm behind the scenes. I work uh, very diligently. Jeremy, I'm working on a lot of exciting things, and I'm familiar with what he's talking about. I'm looking forward to the future. It's going to be exciting, and I'm proud and very honored to be a part of it all. Well that, said. That, no, that, but the, sir, all, Yeah, that's very exciting, though. That sounds very interesting. The, the beauty in it is that you actually don't have to be the one doing these things that's actually counterproductive you send out pre-programmed tweets and then everyone else flies with it you know everyone and they're so the, connected the to delivery time is scheduled mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. 806 and 30 seconds it'll send out the yep. next tweet or something and then like everyone that. who's who's subscribed at the moment blasts it out fantastic well i can just say that we're just Delighted that you're with us, and you're like I said, you're doing a great job with the personnel director. Really appreciate everything that you're doing. Orchestra sounds great. So you don't make a lot of noise in the office, I've noticed. Well, that's a wonderful thing about uh, having a computer and doing uh, contract work and correspondence. Is you can work from absolutely anywhere. So I could be, uh, you know, up in, for example, this summer I was up in Boston. I picked up a couple cellos. And the same time, I'm sending out emails. So I can be pretty much anywhere and do that kind of work. Sure. Uh, which is But I mean, wonderful. when you're in the office, you're very, very quiet. You're a very quiet co-team member. 
Well, he's got to make member. up for the rest of us that are kind of loud and boisterous. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. You got to have a balance. Well, you're very loud, you Eric. Oh yeah, definitely. Me, I'm quiet. I always am get I dirt. quiet? I'm quiet. Oh no, right? No, no, no. no. Anyway, no, no. well, I, I think, think I, I think the fact that uh, you're a viola player mm. shows that you have a certain level of quiet confidence, and it's not about the ego. Uh, you know, you could have, you know. Asked to be a, a violin player for ego's sake, we always like to tease the violin players. But no, you picked a you picked an instrument that you enjoyed and can play well, and maybe that translates to how you operate in the office. You come in with confidence, uh, you give direction, things happen, mission accomplished. You turn around, go home. There you have it. That sounds about right. There you have. Did it. he hit the nail on the head? Did I suppose he... so. Yeah, you could say that. You know, the role of the viola in the orchestra is. Uh, Usually supporting, it's an inside texture. It's responsible for lifting everything up and being sensitive to to the balance and the the musical line. So, what is Eric doing? I, I believe like he's, he's uh, practicing tying his shoe. <laughs> or, no, 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 is he no, saying? No, 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 I got it. I got it. Got it. He's saying the hour has gotten away from us, oh, and we need to tie this show up in a bow. Is that right, what you're saying? I'm trying to get him to wrap it up. It's been great. It has been great. What a tantalizing, tantalizing, incredibly fun and exciting hour. I love it. I love it. This is Bill Trudeau. And Eric Lee. And I'm Jeremy Hickman, along with our guest in the cafe for the hour. Yaniv Cohen. Reminding all of you, as always, we'll we'll see you at the show. You've been listening to Maestros On Air. Brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Remember, you can support the symphony in many ways, including a visit to Maestro's Cafe, located just inside the main entrance to the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center, 308 Forest Avenue, Cocoa, Florida. Maestro's Cafe serves a variety of coffee and other drinks, as well as breakfast and lunch selections, and is open most days from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., with extended hours on Tuesday and Thursday, closed Sunday. For more information about the symphony or upcoming concerts, like us on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. A Peak Velocity production.